Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. Before we air this episode, I just want to take a little moment to talk about the situation. Firstly, we're sending all our love and strength to you through this global crisis. We're all having to find strategies to protect our physical and mental health, and we hope to talk more about this on the podcast and our social media channels and find our strength together. Every day at 6pm GMT, that's UK time, I will be on Instagram live with one of our Guilty Feminist regulars uh, or another guest, and I'm going to be asking them some questions about how they're getting on. This is going to be called the Guilty Feminist New Normal, and we're going to try and do some online feminism every day. Please join us there. And we'll save the videos if you can't be there at that time. Now, we've been making the Guilty Feminist podcast for four years, and it has been an unqualified delight, blessing and joy. I've loved every minute of performing, learning, growing and laughing with you all. It's been such a joy to platform some of the finest talent in comedy, activism and more in the UK and when touring around the world. Now, for the first year, we ran the show at a loss, paying our co-hosts and guests and only released the episodes fortnightly. After a while, we were able to go weekly and stage the live recordings in bigger venues, and gradually we were able to break even and make a profit, which allowed us to spend more time making it. Producing, performing, and editing it has become a huge part of our working week, which means we've had to slow down and wind up other forms of income we used to rely on to make it happen. We've also hired other women to work on the show, and we want to pay them fairly, of course. We've never accepted advertising before except for one special episode where we needed a sponsor to pay the broadcast fee. And we've never asked you, our amazing army of listeners, for donations before either. But this global quarantine means we now need your help to continue making the show. We want to take this opportunity of the time and focus that the quarantine is giving us, the small, tiny silver lining in this gigantic, huge cloud, to create more community and connection for Guilty Feminist listeners that will last beyond the crisis. We've long wanted to do this, but have always been under-resourced. What we all need right now more than ever before is connection, solidarity, sisterhood and siblinghood and laughter. We need these things in new ways at this scary and unpredictable time. We completely understand if your own financial situation is such that you cannot contribute and we will be creating extra content for you too. You can support us by sharing the podcast online. But if you can spare as little as £2.50 a month, it will help us put all our efforts into the podcast right now and we will give you some extra extras to say thank you. If you can afford more, it would make a huge difference to us during this emergency. You can cancel at any time if your situation changes. We'd be so grateful as we desperately want to continue and even expand our work during this tragic time and make feminist lemonade with our family with this enormous quantity of patriarchal lemons we seem to be served every single day at the moment. So go to patreon.com forward slash guilty feminist. That's patreon.com forward slash guilty feminist. Check out our page and see if you can contribute. If you have a company or work for a company and you think that your company's values are in line with ours or you have a diversity and inclusion program and 
you would like to sponsor an episode or some episodes of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. We've cancelled all upcoming shows, so please ask for a refund. And this episode you're about to hear now is the last live episode that we did. It was a week ago when the guidelines were not clear from the government and we were on the cusp and we'd sold the show out and we thought we should do one last one. In retrospect, we probably shouldn't have because we didn't understand the scale of the problem there. Thank you so much. We love you so much. We've loved performing live for you. We can't wait to do that again. In the meantime, stay safe, stay clean, stay indoors, stay online, stay connected and look out for each other. Thank you. And now to the podcast. I'm a feminist, but the upside of washing my hands a hundred times a day is I get a quick makeup touch up too. I'm a feminist, but when fighting for the last kitchen roll in the supermarket with a man, I looked at him and I said, but I need it for my period, sir. Oh! He literally dropped it and ran away. Oh! Wow! He had no idea. I was like, but you know, and he was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Presumably that was not true. You just... I had my 10-year-old was with me and she said, what is that? I'm like, you'll learn. Listen, man, desperate times. Plus, he was like a guy. I'm like, go fight some other guy. Don't fight me. Fair. Hmm. I'm a feminist, but the upside of not touching my face at all is that my makeup stays on all day. I'm a feminist, but when my niece asked my thoughts on her specializing in cosmetic surgery, I said, how often are you going to start seeing patients? So you were basically saying, what would you do with this? Well, not just this. I mean, cosmetic could be anything, really. You need nothing done. Did well, I hope you know, she said time that. Time will tell. <laughs> time will tell. I'm a feminist, but Boris Johnson telling people to stay out of theatres, but not officially closing us, puts the financial responsibility on venues and artists, and that makes me so angry at him. I don't hope he becomes a feminist. I hope he catches coronavirus so badly he needs to be sequestered on a desert island indefinitely with no loo roll. I thought that was going to get to a very bad place, but it got to I know, a good but place. I did not do that because I am better than him. Yes. I'm a feminist, but when my elder daughter said she wants to be a feminist human rights lawyer and my younger daughter said she wants to be a mermaid, I high fived the younger one. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing that your daughter wants to be a feminist human rights she, lawyer. She said a feminist human rights lawyer. Yeah, so she she it's more amazing that, that the little one wants to be a mermaid. I mean, come on, that's. <laughs> Are you saying that's a bigger aspiration because if she can pull it off, it's like magic? No, I think it's more creative in some ways. Wow. Wow. I mean, mean, it might speak to the age difference. Exactly. But I mean, she was smart enough to come up with, I want to be a mermaid. And I was like, that is so cool. (laughs) Meanwhile, the other one, I was just airing her. She was just standing there. But obviously, I think it's a lofty goal. (laughs) I do think it's a lofty goal. My mother would love me to be a lawyer. I'm a feminist. But I did one of those who are you sequestered with games that you play with your, you know, with the phone on your head. That, and I did it 22 times until I got John Hamm. I don't know how that works. I can't get it to work. Yeah, I can get it to work, but I can't get it to post. I don't care. It's stupid. Okay. I don't want to do it. Okay. I'm a feminist, but when I discovered my son's girlfriend was a hottie, I was ecstatic. <laughs> so I mean, I can't, I, I can't lie. No, and nor should you. No, maybe you should. You should lie. No, I, I didn't say anything else. I just said, right, you know. I know, I said, I heard what you said and we all did. And listen, this is why it's funny. Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop Talking about the end of the world. Hello. I'd say bunch up, but don't. Um, if you're up there in one of those high seats, it's probably good. I mean, this is a sold-out show, and uh, this is where we're at. Understandably, people have, you know, stayed away. And it, it, it's so hard to know what exactly to do, but I think this will be the last Guilty Feminist live for... 
the foreseeable. We don't know how long. Um, but we will keep it going. You know, we'll, we'll find a way because I feel like we need connection now more than we've ever needed it. We need community now more than we've ever needed it. And if this is the last time we can come together in a room, that does not mean it's the last time we can come together online. I mean, the internet's got to be good for something. Um, it can be used for things other than trolling. <laughs> Remember that. We are all in this uh, together. And, you know, it has... I suppose in one way being the greatest leveller of our lifetime. Just give us a cheer if you listen to The Guilty Feminist. Yeah! Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. <laughs> See, normally there's a chunky little percentage that have come with friends who've been like, yeah, I'll come along to that. Or oh, you've got some extra, yeah, I'll come along to that. But tonight, people who really aren't dedicated to this have been like, no, do you know what? I'm going to go home, uh, order a pizza. Today I got a Deliveroo and the guy opened his little pack and then said, you get it out, so that he didn't have to touch my plastic bag, which is so sweet of him. He was, I think he was thinking of me, not him. Um, he was just like, you, fewer hands on it, the better. Um, so I think anyone who wasn't truly dedicated to feminism uh, and guilty feminism in particular is not here tonight, but you've come. Uh, my wife got tickets. Your wife got tickets and then she didn't come. Oh. Interesting. And we find that somehow, although it might feel like the end of the world, we are always interested in gossip, aren't we? We're just always sort of like, this has now turned into its own episode of Love Island. Um, she didn't want to come. She said, no, I'm not coming. You went, fuck it, I'll go. Don't want to waste the, both tickets. No, well, thank you for coming. You, what's your name? Piers. Piers. Well, look, you're our mascot, Piers. Um, and uh, do you, you, would you call yourself a feminist peers? And honestly, no one will turn on you tonight. Uh, just out of a sense of humanity, you can say whatever you like, Piers. You Piers is a feminist? There you go. Um, I mean, there's got to be one posh British Piers who's a feminist. And it's not the one called Morgan. So, delighted. Thank you, Piers, and welcome. Um, so we hope to convert you tonight, Piers, to our way. If you are converted and then you are going home to self-isolate for the foreseeable, there's an enormous back catalogue of guilty feminists. <laughs> you can binge your way through. <laughs> this weekend, something happened. It kind of turned, and everyone woke up on Monday and thought, what's going to happen? And then Boris came out and said, well, you could go out, but we don't think you should, but maybe you can, but don't. So we don't really oh, know. Our leader, I mean, what is how, how could you possibly, possibly, in any way doubt, our leader, our great leader, who has first of all said herd immunity, but has not talked about the science behind that or how you might need a vaccine for that to work or what happens if the virus mutates. He's just gone, herd immunity, I'm sure it'll be fine. Survival of the richest. And I mean, some of us could afford to sequester ourselves in incredibly nice country houses. And, you know, if a couple of servants die, I mean, price worth paying, I think. <laughs> and then he said, prepare yourself. I don't know if you saw there was a comparison of other world leaders saying, we can save many lives, and Boris Johnson saying, prepare yourself, you are going to lose quite a few. Um, <laughs> so, and then he said, I mean, keep going out, because herd immunity, if many of us get it as possible, to let's get this thing done. It's, it's like, it's not like, it's not, shouldn't be the same as your Brexit slogan, mate. Like, and just let's get coronavirus done. No, it's not. You just can't slot anything into your Brexit slogan. It's not going to work. I mean, it might work. It worked for Brexit, and that was a shit show. But then he's just said, don't go to the theatre. But he hasn't formally shut it down the way de Blasio has in New York or the way the French government have in Paris. So it means that the onus is on theatres and artists. So if the government forces you to close down, there's nothing else you can do. But if you have to make the responsible decision, for yourself, which we all now have to because of tomorrow, all the answers are going to be left out to dry. I'm so angry about it. I can't even... There's no punchline there. There's just my face. <laughs> if that's yeah. not enough of a punchline for you, then shall I punch his face? <laughs> no, and I mean, I, I also think it's... You know, he's like, I don't think you should go to the theatre. I, I really don't think you should meet other people. But send your kids to school. Go ahead. Mm. And it's like, wait, aren't they meeting other people? Mm. And, and don't they then jump on their grandparents? At short notice. That true. And also, kids are the worst germ buckets in the world. Mm. 
You know what I mean? But they're like, oh, but it's not going to hurt kids. But those kids are coming home. It's all very complicated. And I think the thing to do is from tomorrow, do nothing. Mm. <laughs> I feel like there have been times in the past, uh, generationally, where terrible things have happened in a community. And this is a big community, but you know what I mean? Where there's been economic hardship, other kinds of hardship. And somehow people have found a way to come together and be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we have to focus on rather than we're not going to make it through this. Oh my God, we're all dying. We will get through it. People always do. Mm -hmm. And I think if we think of it like that, then we'll find the ways. Do you see what I mean? If we have to stay positive that we're going to be able to help one another in whatever mm -hmm. way. You know, for example, just walk down your street and hold out extra loo roll. No, there's so many... What is it with this country and loo roll? I mean, I'm from India. I'm like, uh, you know, this is a hand and there's water. I don't know what's going on. We may all be doing that soon. Well, which is fine, because there's a it's, billion and a half of us like, uh, wait, hello, yeah. And now you There's two things. There's two things, Indians. We have for a long time waited and waited and waited. One is this, use your hands and water. And the other is, namaste. <laughs> we have waited. And when, and when the royal family started doing it in this country, we were like, well, finally. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, there's lots of ways in which I think we're going to be able to help one another. And we have, to, we have to believe that it's possible. And it is possible. We just may not know today, right now, but it will come. It has to come. Of course, yeah. Things will come back. This too shall pass. But and we can help one another. I just think that having like a doomsday mentality is not helping. No, Because, absolutely. by the way, if it is doomsday, it's better to even not know. Then it's doomsday and you're like, oh shit, that was doomsday, haha. <laughs> and then you come back. You know, I don't know. You know, and I mean, as a Hindu, I, I'm going to come back. And then when I come back next time, I'll be like, oh man, check it out. That was doomsday. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There's no point worrying about doomsday if I it's doomsday. I might be interested in your Hindu wares afterwards. I'm interested in hearing about this reincarnation. Well, let me let you all in on a secret. Yes. We don't think just we're coming back. We think all of us are coming back. But because it makes Abrahamic religion so worried when we say that, we just don't include you. <laughs> we're like, no, 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 no. You're, yeah, you are staying here, heaven, hell, and that's fine. You stay here. We're coming back, but we think everyone's coming oh. back. Yes. What do you think I will come back as? That's, I don't know. That's your karma. I, have, I, I mean, I'm not psychic. <laughs> I'm going to need you to make a guess. You know me well. You will come back as a straight woman. Damn, I was hoping for straight white cis man next time. No. But no so much the, privilege. The age of straight white cis men is over. Ask him. <laughs> Pierce, is that true? By it's the way, over. Okay. Pierce, did, um, I, I didn't quite hear it, but your wife bought tickets and she didn't want to come because of this whole virus thing. You see, he's a living emblem of what it is to be married. Okay, let me tell you. When you're married and your spouse says, I'm not going to go to that thing because we may die, you say, fuck that, I'm not going to agree with you, I'm going to the thing. <laughs> That's what, that is what marriage Even is. Even though it's 100%. not my thing. No. Like, it's totally not my thing. I don't even want yeah, no, to. No, no, no. Yeah, I just want to disagree with you. You know, I may be dead, but I won't have agreed with you. Ha. Huh. That is what marriage is. How long have you been married? 16 years. 16 years, Oh, yeah. my God. Exactly, right? I mean, at this point, I've been married 22 years. At this point, every single interaction is all about how do I get to the end of this with minimum harm to myself but maximum pain to you. <laughs> That's how you win, right? That's how you win. You are winning this tonight. She's at home. I, that's how it works. And you have won this one because she's A, pissed off at home that she's not a guilty feminist. B, she's worried about what's going to happen to you. And meanwhile, you're like here having all the lols and she's having nothing. You won this one, Pierce. I mean, time will tell. Pierce, keep I'm us updated you. on Twitter. for some stand-up comedy. Yeah, please, welcome to the stage, the incredible Sindhu B. Hey, guys. So it's me again. I mean, you already know what I'm like, so I'll just talk about this stuff that's on my mind. You see, last year was a tough year for me personally. Comedy went well, but lots of other things going on. And so I... Um, 
my mother was unwell and because my mother and I are very close and we spoke all the time when she was unwell I couldn't talk to her that much right so I this sort of there was a vacuum of very vital female energy in my life yeah and I filled it by leaning on these two girlfriends of mine that I'm very close to you guys know how it is you have a couple of girlfriends and they're your go-to friends like you just couldn't do stuff without them yes Yeah. So these two I really leaned in on them and I discovered that I have had very low standards. Uh <laughs> somehow I've not been paying attention and the quality's just gone so low and I didn't realize until I started to really ask more of them because just substandard really really just substandard. I mean I love these two but Oh my god, how have I managed? It's been unclear to me. I really unclear how I've been managing. So, I've been looking at these friendships because I'm not I can't leave them. You can't divorce those kinds of girlfriends. You it's what I call GFD, girlfriend divorce. Um you can't do it. Normal divorce peers so easy compared to that. So easy. But girlfriend divorce, you just can't leave them because they are like they're like the vessels of who I am, the history of who I am. Do you know what I mean? Anyone know what I'm talking about? they know everything about me they've been with me since university since before university like they're the kinds of girlfriends that no matter where i am at in my life they always know what to say like i'll say oh you know i missed the train and they'll be like oh yeah fuck the train you know <laughs> it's so great and then you say i missed the train because i was wanking in the shower they're like oh fuck the train you know they're always with you no matter where you are but i've had to really focus on what is bothering me about them because i can't leave them so i have to find a way to adjust myself and with one of them the issue is that she has made a very conscious decision to be unhappy i'm not talking about depression i've had depression no no like unhappy like nothing is okay everything is bad and the dolphins <laughs> now everything is tough but you got to have some kind of positive outlook like you can't constantly feel bad but she so i got a great gig in south africa and she was like yeah but air, you know flying carbon footprint i'm like i can't walk there i mean what what are my options it's so good for my career but no 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 and so she's like well how do you want me to be happy i'm like i don't know eat a cookie just eat a cookie pick a small solution like a cookie and get 70 seconds of happiness and she's like cookie palm oil <laughs> So that's very hard to live with. You know when you're trying to have a positive outlook. So that, I don't know what to do about that. But the other one who arguably I've been closer to by the way the two of them know each other through me. So like we're a triangle, you know. The other one on any benchmark, on any benchmark she's a 9. A 9. But many years ago when we were picking our life partners, she picked a guy who is at best a 6. At best. <laughs> All right? So we all were like okay fine. Now, the problem with this is apart from the fact that he's a six fine, we can all live with that. He's not very nice to her. Does anyone have a friend whose partner is not very nice to them and <laughs> Yeah, and it's horrible. I mean, if the friend is here with you, don't bring it up. But uh <laughs> don't bring it up because this is not that space, but yeah, I mean, and what's hard is she either won't or can't see it. I think she won't. So he's a six. He's not very nice to her. and he's arrogant in general but i'll tell you what to top all of this up this guy has the audacity to have a food intolerance <laughs> are you joking me i mean he has he's inflicting all this not only on her but on me frankly you know how many meals i've had to miss great meals because of this guy because her big thing is oh we can't eat here he can't eat this and i don't even know what the thing is i don't even know if it's an allergy or intolerance or something something blah 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 nuts that's all i know <laughs> and so every meal is like a drama and like she'll call beforehand and say what are you serving and if we go to a restaurant she has to have the menu i mean come on it's really taken all the joy out and i tell you what when so let's call them unhappy and not so so when unhappy is there and not so behaves like this literally you would rather have coronavirus i'm not even kidding you're just like <laughs> kill me now but with her the issue for me is what do i do because i mean with both of them i suppose but especially with her because i can't leave her but i'm starting to become very resentful you know and i feel like i have to make a boundary be respectful of her choices be respectful of my choices because i have this resentment and as my mother always said when you have a so much resentment stuffing stuff and you are 100% have a cancer and i don't want any percentage of cancer frankly uh so i i'm like okay i got to somehow back away from this so i've been thinking about it you know i don't know what to do 
I think maybe just love her and let her go. Or when they come for dinner, put some nuts in the salad. Uh, I haven't quite decided. And I'll tell you one other thing, and you mustn't judge me, here it comes. So, you see, usually when I would be angry with one of them, I wouldn't call the other, because that's a transgression. You know, if you're three close friends, you have to gossip a little about each other, but you can't cross that line. There's a big line, you can't cross it. And every time I would want to cross that line, I'd call my mother, and my mother would say, why are you so angry? She's always one unhappy bitch. Leave it. And then I would be fine. But since I couldn't call my mother because she was sick, I made the mistake of very badly bitching about unhappy to Natsu once, and then getting very nervous that they might compare notes. And then I would be left, and then they would kick me out of the friendship, and that would be terrible, because you can't have unhappy and crazy without funny. What will happen then? The whole thing will be a disaster. So I've decided, as a way to mitigate this so that all of us continue to have this wonderful friendship, to subtly undermine their friendship. Um, just so that there's no real trust between them. And also, they met through me, so I don't even know why, they, why would they have so much fucking ownership in the first place. So I feel like I need to protect the herd by, um, yeah, so I'm working on that uh, at the moment. Anyway, that's been my time. Thank you so much. Please put your hands together and welcome the very funny Deborah Francis White. So I just went to see Leopold Stat, Tom Stoppard's last play, he said, he thinks. Uh, it's about the same Jewish family living in Austria from the late 1800s through to the 1950s. So you see people in this family and it's one of those Stoppard ones where time moves on. And I'm here to report to you that it has always been the end of the world. Uh, like pretty much forever. Then I saw um, Hillary Clinton's documentary. Did you see this? The Hillary Clinton documentary on Hulu. Um, there's four episodes, but it starts in the 60s when she was young with the civil rights movement. And I'm here to report to you that it's always been the end of the world. Uh, basically, our generation, we haven't seen much. And I feel like, I once heard on Radio 4, um, where they were talking about World War One, and it was like the anniversary, I think it was either, it was probably 2014 or something like that. So it was 100 years. And the presenter was asking the historian, how would young people today go in the trenches? And the historian said, it's not a relevant question. Because the young men of 1914 who went into the trenches were already very uncomfortable. So where they had come from, they were getting off an uncomfortable seat. They weren't sitting down. They were standing up. They were up a chimney or they were down a mine. Uh, they were having a shit time. And then they went down a trench and it was shitter. But uh, to take a young person off a beanbag who has only ever played Grand Theft Auto and put them in a trench. It's just not a reasonable place to take them from and put them to, right? So here's the thing. We have sat down our whole lives in a comfortable chair in a beautifully warmed room. And if that room gets a bit too hot, we are fucking furious. Why is it so hot in this pub? Oh, my God! If we have to wait seven minutes for a bus... Seven minutes in London for a bus and it's cold and I'm not sitting down? What's this shit? I didn't sign on for being born to stand up in the cold. Where the fuck is this bus? By the time the bus gets there, we're very angry. We're furious. Our night is ruined. And then we go home, we're walking past our favourite kebab shop. It's closed. What? We are hungry. And our kebab shop has closed five minutes earlier than usual. Livid. Livid. Because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us. We are not good with inconvenience. Because we do not know of it. We do not know of it. Now, if you are Gen X or Millennial, just give us a cheer if you're Gen X or Millennial. 
Okay. Gen X are the sort of slacker generation with the Reality Bites kids. We were the first ones to say, hey, we're not getting a proper job. We're going to write a novel. We're sorry. We've let you down. We didn't write the novel. It's, uh, it never came off. But we have at least suffered for our art, and I want that out there. Uh, millennials were raised not to think they were going to suffer for their art, just that art would be the only... That just to do what you want. Be who you are. You're special. You are so fucking special. All of you are so fucking special. You should only do a job that brings joy to your heart, that makes your heart race like your day one of being in love. And that, that, should, that should go on for... And you should be given prizes. And it's... <laughs> beautiful thing nothing but all of I don't think any of that in some ways is as luxurious as the baby boomer experience because those guys they were born after the war but dated before AIDS I said that backstage to Sindhu she and I both generation X and she went yes we had AIDS and I said you need to be careful how you frame that it's but it's true like when we were dating it was you know it was all well I wasn't dating because I was a Jehovah's Witness but I can only dream of how it was and it was very much wear a condom it's ah everything's terrifying baby boomers also bought their houses for 25 pounds and have continued on in this vein voting for Trump and Brexit like there's no tomorrow which it turns out there may not be now I want my old problems back. Um, I, the problems I had before coronavirus, they seem delicious and luxurious. I want them back. Where are they? I want my self-censored problems back. I want me feeling like things aren't going my way in significant ways, both in terms of luxury and convenience and also in terms of career advancement. All of those things that I felt, huh, how come this isn't happening at exactly the time I want it to happen? I want that back. I felt very lonely in Chicago. I'm going to tell you this. I did a tour of America and I had an amazing time on stage, but I was on my own. I didn't have anyone traveling with me and I was snowed in in Chicago and it was so cold that I walked back from yoga I know! I was allowed to go to yoga then! It was different times! It was literally January. And I walked back from yoga 10 minutes to the hotel, and I wasn't prepared with the kind of clothes you need for a Chicago winter. I had London winter clothes, which is just like a coat. And my face was so cold, and my hands were so cold, I walked past Mean Girls, the Broadway show, which was also in Chicago, and uh, the audience were going in, and I was too cold to keep walking back to my hotel the second five minutes. It was a 10-minute walk. I'd walked five. I was so frozen that I just followed the theatergoers into Mean Girls and said, I will have a ticket, please. And went on my own rather than walk five minutes in the cold. Look, it's a wonderful show, but it's not a great show to go to alone because the theme of it is you can't sit with us. And I sat down and a man next to me moved up a seat. So I was so ostensibly... I had spare seats on both sides. So I looked like the sad loner girl who loved Mean Girls, but on my own. And I was such a fan of it, I was coming on my own because none of my friends wanted to come with me because I didn't have any friends. That's what I looked like. And I was like, huh. And so then I came out and then I like, you know, Instagrammed a friend to try and create a connection. But I knew that they were busy. And then I just walked home and was, my face was so cold. My hands were so cold. I ordered room service just to hear my own voice. I got snowed in there. I couldn't get to Toronto. I got to the air, far as the fucking airport and... Then they said, you still can't fly now. It's been bumped again. And I had to walk a million miles on my own with my suitcase. It was very, I want that day back. Because <laughs> even though it was so cold, I was very lonely. And I went to the hotel gym and there was no one in the gym. And it was like, like the, you know, the Marie Celeste. And I was very, very, very spooky. And I was on my own and no one would talk to me. And it was horrible. I could have just got in a cab and gone to a museum. And the museum would have been open. And people would have... Do you know what? I went shopping for gloves and no one looked at me with the eyes of judgment as if I had the plague when I tried the gloves on and took them off and tried them on and took them off and tried them on and took them off and tried on another pair and left that pair I touched. The first pair I touched it was lying there. Lying there in retail. None of those people looked at me like, well, we'll have to burn those gloves now. I want that day back, that sad time in Chicago. By the way, the show in Chicago, if you came along to it, it was phenomenal. Some of my friends came and watched it and they literally traveled from like Minnesota and they had a drink with me afterwards and that was the highlight of Chicago because it was so lovely and connected. Basically, we're in a disaster movie now and disaster movies did not prepare us for how much everything was going to be about loo paper. And... <laughs> 
so what I need to move on to is what is good about the end of the world? Because there's always something positive. There's always something positive. And I think what it is is maybe we will learn that we don't need to travel for conferences. Because when climate change was going, hey guys, let's stop traveling for conferences, it's not necessary, everyone went, no, it really is. It's important that all of us go to Philadelphia but never see anything in Philadelphia except the inside of a Hyatt Regency. That's fucking important. We all need to travel there. It's incredibly important. But what about the carbon emissions and the fact that soon the planet will have run out of everything and we've made our own planet unlivable because you wanted to go to a Hyatt Regency in Philadelphia to talk about key performance indicators. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. We really need to discuss those key performance indicators. They're not going to discuss themselves. I mean, Jeff's across this and I'm not across this, so I need to get across the Atlantic so I can also get across this. No, you don't. None of it means anything. Stop flying for nothing. Fly to see people you love, not to see people you hate. Don't fly ever. Don't fly ever to see people you have no strong feelings about. That's why most people fly, to be in rooms with people they have no strong feelings about. And to stop that now, and, and coronavirus, the end of the world in this metaphor has taught us we don't need to do that. Guess what? We can do it on a video conferencing thing. Guess what? People commuting can work, can work from home. We'll all work it out. So maybe this is the part in the movie where aliens land and the whole human race realize we need to come together as a planet to fight the aliens so we stop fighting each other. And maybe coronavirus is the aliens. And this is what's going to bring humanity together. No one's on board with this. Okay, well, I think it's a great idea. It's too late. I feel like this could be it, guys. Coronavirus could be it. It's the one thing that everyone around the world is like, we're all going to have to get on board with this. What about we come together as a human race and say, yes, because a lot of the things that will stop coronavirus will also stop the planet being destroyed. I feel like this is a thing. Okay. Now I believe you. <laughs> I always said that the guilty feminist would come out every Monday until I died. Now, I don't think I shared that with you, so it may come as a shock. But <laughs> I did. I was like, this is, I'm not, not putting this out now. You know, one way or another, and we've always done this as a live show. We've always done it with you, and I think it's a lot of the power of it, so that people at home can hear the audience laughing and cheering and being angry with things and asking questions, all of that. I think it feels like, yes, we are a tribe, and that's why you're a big part of the success of this, the live audience. I truly believe that. Um, and I've always thought also, when I die, I need a succession plan. I have worked out what the Memorial Guilty Feminist is when I die and who's going to be talking and what they're going to be saying. I'm not going to give, leave them in my will a script, but I am going to give them guidelines. Now, that's a joke. I'm not going to give them guidelines. They know who they are. Sindhu will be speaking, and I would like you to speak as if you are my mother. Um, <laughs> there's no reason for that, but it's just your stock in trade, and I think it would be brilliant. I'm there. Okay, excellent. Thank you. What I want to say, finally, is that the problems that we've looked at over the last few years have not gone away because coronavirus is with us. There are still people in refugee camps. Imagine going through everything you're going through and being in a refugee camp with no facilities. Imagine that. Imagine being frightened, but you can't self-isolate. You can't keep clean. When I went out to Greece, to Lesbos, the thing that stuck with me the most is seeing people constantly trying to get clean and the amazing work that humanitarians are doing out there to allow running water and hot showers and constantly people trying to get their kids clean, constantly trying to get their clothes clean. And that's, that's a daily battle. Forget coronavirus before that's even begun. Imagine being there now. There are people in prison. There are people very wrongfully in prison. There are human rights issues. Everything that we've been talking about over the last few years hasn't stopped. So I feel like one way to not get so self-centered and self-conscious, because this is a one-way ticket to poor mental health for us to be constantly obsessing about, is this it? Is this, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Is we have to do remote feminism now. This is our last Guilty Feminist live show for the foreseeable. We have to go back to our homes and we have to get online 
and we have to use it to connect. We have to use it to do at-home feminism. The Guilty Feminists will be trying to create some kind of projects that we can do remotely so we can think about other people who have the threat of coronavirus and, 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 and. Because, yeah, I'm making jokes about millennials and Gen X and baby boomers, but do you know what? If you're from Syria, you don't have anything in common with a millennial, even though you might be in the same age group. Because your country has experienced untold horrors. A generation is a people who have shared an experience. And there are people in countries around the world who have not shared any of our experiences and have not lived knowing only convenience and luxury. Even within the challenges that we might have. You can be disabled but living in London having a terrible time uh, because things are not set up for you. But I've seen disabled people in refugee camps. So we have this, always this other intersection uh, something else is happening. So can we reach out to those people? At times like this, that feel like the end of the world, which World War I must have, the Spanish flu must have, World War II must have, people hold hands. We come together. Not literally in this case. Please do not actually hold hands. But as my friend Napahensky said, we need to wash our hands, but not of each other. So let us use this feeling to say, what can we learn? How can we unite? And how can we fundamentally discover that we're all made of the same stuff? And if that virus is coming for us, it's coming for us. It's not looking on racial lines, it's not looking on gender lines, it's not looking on lines of sexual orientation or gender expression. It might be coming on lines of disability, and we need to look at that very seriously. But we need to ask ourselves what connects us now, not what drives us apart in a supermarket, grabbing for the last thing. So let's do it. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Our guest today is a member of the Torture Survivor Activist Group Survivors Speak Out and was recently named Survivor Champion for the UK government's Preventing Sexual Violence in Conflict Initiative. Please welcome Nadine Tanasi. Now, Nadine, you've come to give us some perspective today. Thank you for doing that. Could you please tell us a little bit about you and your story? Okay, so first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm very glad to be asked to be part of this great event. I had a bit of laugh, so it's really good to be able to laugh, you know, after a few weeks of so many bad news. My journey began when I left my country. I mean, for security purpose, I try not to say about the country where I come from. When I left my country over 20 years ago, I escaped my country because of a, uh, an experience that happened to my family because of my ethnicity. As you can imagine, in certain places of the world, people are targeted because of the ethnicities, because of the religious belief, because of the faith, and in my case, it was because of my ethnicity. So I had to flee my country and seek a place of refuge, and thankfully for me, that place was the UK. So after I arrived in the UK, I had to go to the asylum process because you have to be accepted and, you know, you have to say your story and what happened to you and explain the reason why you are seeking protection. And thank God I was accepted. And after a long journey, which I would like to talk about a little bit later, during uh, True Freedom from Torture, I had to receive rehabilitation and therapy session for quite a while. And then after all that, after a few years... 
I wanted to do something because you're left there, you're wondering, what am I going to do with me? Well, how do I make myself useful? Because it's often a sense of really you have no meaning, you know. And quite often you feel like you're useless, there's a language barrier, you have to learn the language, you have to readapt and all those things. I heard about this group called the Survival Speak Out Network, which is a group of ex-survival torturers who gathered from different countries, but ex-clients at FFT, uh, the Freedom from Torture, who have received the rehabilitation. And I found the group, it was relatively young then, and there was a group of people, men and women, who wanted to speak, to raise their awareness about what happened to them. And mainly simply because we often say, I don't want what happened to me to happen to someone else. And then I joined the network. The name of it is Survivors Speak Out. Mm-hmm. And these are survivors of torture, which is something, again, that's just sort of almost like for most of us listening to this around the world and the people here tonight, it's sort of beyond our ken. Like, you know, I live with someone who went through part of the Syrian war and was a refugee, and he says he is very interested in Westerners' response to coronavirus and how when this emergency is upon us, how we respond. And he's not unsympathetic, and, you know, he's experiencing it as well. How do you speak out in a way that you can communicate to people who have never had anything like that in their lives, understand it? I think that over the years, because SSO exists now for over 10 years, I mean, when I started speaking before, I didn't think that people were even listening. But the need to speak was always there. And the feeling most of the time with survival is that there's a guilt. And people said, I don't know why I had to survive. Why me? How about those who are left behind? Especially if you have relatives, you know. Because many times, you can't come with everyone, you know. The truth is, some of your family members will be left behind. And the need to speak, I think, was there. And it's very important for me. It was important then, and still important now, that I was able to find people who really wanted to speak. In a way, it was also a kneeling process as well. Because I think that the speaking empowers us and we really want people to know about what's going on because we felt also, we always felt and still feeling that the more we speak about this, the more people will know. Because quite often when we will go places, people will say, well, I didn't know this was happening. I mean, I never met actually, you know, someone who's been through this, this experience. So those years, most of the time we would speak to schools. I remember going to secondary school in London, speaking to, you know, teenagers and explaining what happened. I got bombarded by questions at the end of it, and universities. But um, we're seeing our work paying off in the sense that we're having like more you know, like wider audiences internationally who want to do something, who wants to listen, and are getting an interest in the subject. So literally, conferences, uh, UN conferences, I mean, we get invited and we speak. Truly, we want to raise the awareness, people to know and as you said, I was appointed alongside with my other colleague, Kobasi Awusu, because the UK government decided to have a champion, a male and a female, is to also not to be just participant about you know, the decisions, but to be at the table and take decisions. Because what SSO advocate is, because of what happened to me, my experience makes me an expert in the subject. Nobody else can talk about this subject better than me, because I walked through that. I've been through it. And I want to be at that table and speak and bring solutions for the other survivors who are left behind. Obviously, with PSVI, which is the Prevention of Sexual Violence Initiative, it is an initiative of the UK government that started in 2012. What we do with the country focus to try and raise the awareness and really fight for survival and to seek the justice. Because what happens often is the blame is shifted from the perpetrator to the victims. Mm-hmm. And because we know that the majority of the victims are women, we know that rape is being used as a weapon of war, these women feel guilty, they feel ashamed, they are stigmatized in their own society, they are abandoned, and sometimes if they happen to be pregnant, they don't, the community reject them, they don't want the children born out of the rape. So to raise their awareness about the stigma, and really to tell people that it's not okay and let us speak. And if one speaks, two speaks, and more people speak, the more we know and the more we are speaking, the stronger we are sending our message. Does it feel like the end of the world when something like this happens? When you, know, when you had to run and, and leave everything behind and leave people you loved behind? Does it feel like that? Does it feel like the apocalypse? 
To be honest with you, I had many journeys. And a lot of the times people read about the journey of asylum seeker because of what they see on the news. You're seeing people on the boat, and that's what you call a journey. There are a lot of journeys. I think that the first one begins with the moment that your right as a human being were infringed. The moment whether this was sexual violence or torture happened. That is the first journey, whether you're going to make it, because you need to survive that. Many people don't survive. After you are able to survive that, then you're going to have to make a decision because you know that you are living in a fragile environment. If you, this perpetrator come across you again, you know what's going to happen to you. You need to run, you need to hide, and you need to start the second journey, which is finding a safe home, finding a country that will welcome you. And in that journey, there are a lot of pains because very often people are in the hands of the traffickers and the traffickers are not the best people, but you have no options because you need to try to try and get somewhere where you can find a safe place. And I really want to say people don't really have the luxury of choosing where to come. Mm-hmm. When I came to the UK, I didn't even know. I mean, I thought I was going to Germany, to be honest with you. They told me that I was coming to Germany, but I happened to find myself in the UK. It's when I arrived that I realized, because I barely spoke English. People don't have the luxury to choose you know, where to come. And after you arrive in the safe country, you have another journey. You need to seek asylum, to seek protection. Most people don't even know what it is to seek asylums. All you know is you're running and you need to get to a safe country. That in itself is another very long journey, which involves a process of, I'll speak about the UK, for instance, you have to go to the home office and seek asylum, which is a process where you have to explain your story. Is it often that people are not believed about the torture that they've suffered? And the feeling quite often is that the moment you walk in the room, you're already judge and sentence. There is a culture of disbelief that people are economic migrants. I'm not saying that the UK should welcome everybody, but I just, we advocate with SSO and many survivors who are involved in the advocacy that to treat people as human beings and to give a chance, you know, to believe to the story. I mean, very recently with FFT, because SSO is a network that is part of FFT, we carried a research where the research actually demonstrated that poor decision-making and poor interview process lead to poor judgment. Mm -hmm. Literally, things like nodding your head when the person is speaking, when the person is telling your story, or disbelieving them in the process, actually also cause a lot of re-traumatization. So we we seek and advocate for a fair process that gives the individual a chance to examine themselves so that you know, they can have an opportunity to get the refuge that they need. So how can we help? That's always our question here at The Guilty Feminist. How can individuals who are here tonight or listening around the world, how can they get involved with Survivors Speak Out? What do you need? I think we would love for people to speak and to say that it's not acceptable and really to ask people not to see refugees as people who are, you know, have to be of any threat in the country. Unfortunately, we know that these issues have no stops. We know that torture is still happening. Sexual violence is still a current issue. When you read the stories, you know there are still young babies who are being raped, female, male who are being raped. As a survivor speaker, and as a survivor from SSO, I will ask you to speak and not to remain silent. Because what the perpetrator wants is you to remain silent and not to talk about it. And also to seek the justice so that the people need the justice, get the justice that they deserve. Um, are there any websites, any places that people can go to to learn more and maybe to ha- a place where you can speak, either, you know, mm-hmm. can actually do something besides? Yeah, um, with freedomfromtorture.org.uk. And that'll be in the show notes? That, that, yeah, and there is, a, um, we actually recently ran a campaign called I Believe You, where people are sharing their experiences. And yes, to raise awareness is a big thing because I think people need to know about what's going on. Mm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I do think being believed is so much of it because I remember in 2011 mm. having this argument with some men who would not believe that it was harder for women in comedy, which at that time it really, really was. And I was mentoring somebody who was 
a young British Asian comic who was wearing a headscarf and I couldn't get her gigs, just like five minute gigs in 2011. It's diff there is a different landscape now, but it really wasn't possible. And this is obviously, you know, who's represented in comedy in Britain is not on the scale of this. But mm -hmm. I remember, because they were looking at me and looking at each other like, isn't it sweet that she thinks it's harder? And one of them said, well, I'm a character comedian, so it's just as hard for me. And I was like, but that's not your identity. You have the option to do stand-up comedy. You go in, you look like all of the guys in the club, and they wouldn't have it. And they kept looking at each other like I was deluded. And I was so angry, I cried. I got so angry. And now, because of the Me Too movement, because of the wave of feminism, if I talk about sexual harassment in comedy or in the arts, it's widely accepted that that is true, that has happened, that still continues to happen. And those guys are the ones that feel disbelieved if they say it's not happening. And so I don't feel the same anger and frustration and tears anymore because I'd just be like, if somebody said that now, I'd just be like, okay, what year do you think this is? 2011? It's changed my mental health so much being believed and that's a landscape changing towards what women go through in terms of sexual harassment. And I do think you cannot heal if you're not believed, if you're constantly fighting people's faces going, Mm, mm -hmm. but were you tortured yeah. mm. so even going on to say I believe you and just listening will do so much and I think it does give us perspective you know we do need to seek fun stuff to give ourselves outlets but we also need to seek perspective and I think this is a great place to do it and you know when you went through all those journeys and when you finally showed up here and you were trying to get asylum mm -hmm. and there were people who you met who could make those decisions and they didn't believe you or it was difficult what did you tell yourself so you kept going what was it I mean you don't really have a choice you know I mean for me in my own case it took me seven years to get my decisions so you're left in the limbo really again you have to be lucky if I didn't get a positive decision I could be asked to go back to my country you can imagine but how did you keep your hope going and now you're doing this work on behalf of other people so there's got to be something you told yourself I think I was um, I tried for those years to study to do something and to help I mean while I was being an asylum seekers I often go and be with other asylum seekers who first came and felt completely lost because it's really uh, very important for people who arrive to have like somebody to give them the support that they needed. So I will volunteer, you know, trying to translate for people. You need to have the hope that you needed. But also in the meantime, before that, I was going through rehabilitation and the support that you receive through your counseling, you know, which we used to receive at Freedom from Torture was very important. Freedom from Torture counselors, they were like your mom and dad that you would call for anything that every time you had a breakdown. And that's why we also said, you know, survival torture needs rehabilitation. And we'll say that we will ask for an holistic approach in the sense that if you're trying to help a survivor, don't just look at them as the person that is sitting next to you, but trying to consider all the things that are needed to make them really have a better rehabilitation. So I'll go there every week to receive counseling, to receive support. But in the meantime, try and keep myself busy, learn English and go to college and all those things. But I can talk about it now, but it was a longer journey. Yeah, but I have to say it's a story of great hope. Mm -hmm. It's a great hope and great inspiration. Yeah. So yeah. well done, you. Thank you. To play us out, the incredible Amrit Kaur here and two men. We don't normally allow men on the stage, but look at them. There they are, taking up all sorts of space, and they're completely brilliant. Big round of applause for Amrit and the boys. So for this song, um, I'm going to ask you to help me sing it. But this song's called Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke, and we're going to sing it together. Mm, and I know... And you're gonna sing, change is gonna come. Can you sing that? Change is gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Beautiful. So I'll sing the verses and then we'll sing the chorus together.
Just like the river, I've been running ever since It's been a long time coming, long time coming But I know that change is gonna come Yes, it will. It's been too hard living, and I'm afraid to die. I don't know what's out there beyond the sky, but it's been a long time coming, a long time coming, but I know. Change is gonna come Oh, yes, it will Said I know That change is gonna come Oh, yes, it will And one more time, sing it from your heart I said I know That change is gonna come Oh, yes, it will Beautiful Thank you very much. That's Amra Caller here, everybody. We've been the Guilty Feminist. I've been Deborah Francis White. You've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Good night and good luck. Wash your hands. See you on the other side. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Cindy V, and our very special guest, Nadine Tanasi. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp, music was by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Selinski for The Spontaneous Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. More information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. It's going to be great, because our last show for the foreseeable uh we're going to have a musical out so uh come back after the interval i mean you're here anyway now um (laughs) this was probably unwise but you've done it um all right so we're going to do the outro